So in our house, like many houses uh, here in the village, uh, we have a variety of hats. Hats to keep the sun off, hats to keep your head cool, hats to keep your hair dry, hats to keep your head warm, all kinds of hats have we. Sounds like it'd be a whole new Dr. Seuss book, doesn't it? We have all kinds of hats. And because we have such a variety of hats, we have walls with pegs on them, places we can hang our hats. And it's a good thing, too, because it's hard to imagine what a mess we would have if we didn't have something to hang our hats on. I thought about this recently as I grabbed a warm hat to go outside. And as you know, one of the great things about living here in the Rocky Mountains is the sky, both the blue sky days and the pitch black moonless nights. They are spectacular, aren't they? And when the moon is not out, the night skies here are dark with little interference from artificial light, pollution, or other things that affect clarity. As I just mentioned, I grabbed a hat not long ago to go outside, and I was up late, and so I went outside into the cold night air. It was past midnight, as I could not sleep. And I stood in warm shoes and what snow there is, and I looked upward. The moonless night sky took my breath away. The, the Milky Way was so clear and crisp, it felt as if I could just reach up and grab it, how I wish I could have. And over the next several minutes, in fact, it may have been an hour or more that night, I spent a lot of time thinking about my life, my successes and achievements, my mistakes and failures, the way I've hurt people, the way others have hurt me, what has been good, what has been painful. And it was then that I was struck by the thought, wouldn't it be great if all of decisions in life and solutions to the problems we have were as clear and crisp as this night sky? But I knew then, and I still know now, that things are not always simple or transparent, are they? You hear me say all the time, life is indeed a both-and deal. Life is wonderful and filled with great joy, and every moment is an extraordinarily precious gift. And most of us, if not all of us here, have been blessed throughout our time here on this planet in incredible, astonishing ways, if you just think for a moment of all the blessings we've had. Yet despite this, I often feel sad about the human condition and even despondent at times over what so many people have to go through. I, for example, I am very deeply bothered and troubled down to my soul about the opioid epidemic, gun deaths in schools seemingly weekly widespread untreated mental illness, and medical care that's not affordable for most people. And how often we forget that no one is immune from what life doles out now and then. This obvious truth is just a reality that we are, will, or each of us will have tough stuff to deal with. And it's clear to me that having faith does not preclude any of us from experiencing pain or hardship or raw deals. Scripture doesn't say that if you follow Jesus, life will be easy street. It doesn't say that anywhere. In fact, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, we run into a reference to the one of the most painful stories in all of Scripture, a story when life was far more than simply difficult. You may remember that for 400 years, 
the people of Israel believed something. They trusted to their core that the dynasty that God, through King David, established would last forever. Their culture, mores, literature, arts, architecture, educational and political system, and ways of looking at the world and themselves were based on this belief. King David's dynasty is going on forever because God has blessed it. But then as the story goes, we know that an army came ripping into their country and decimated everything. It was a tragedy that shook the souls of the people of Israel. And certainly the people asked, why has God allowed this to happen? Why did God not keep his promises? Does God not love us? Does God exist? If God is all-powerful and loving, how could there be so much suffering all around us? And for the next 70 years, more than one generation in those days, the pain and the upheaval continued. So I thought about this. I thought, well, what would it be like in our own day? Imagine America going away and everything we've known since its inception. Imagine no neighborhoods, bookstores, restaurants, skiing, voting, schools, movies, churches, national parks, vacations, jobs, family, sports, arts, music. Just imagine what we might be feeling if it were all gone and most people we knew no longer existed. No national anthem, no pledge of allegiance, no flags, no NFL. All gone. What questions might we, what might we be asking God? It's precisely what the people of the promised land went through. Then there are the heartaches laid out in today's gospel reading. Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever, and much like today, an uncontrolled fever could be deadly. And other people in our reading are described as sick with a variety of diseases, and some are possessed by demons. And what must it have felt like to be sick in either mind or spirit with no understanding of biology and certainly no medical care? As I reflect upon these stories in Scripture, and the realities of our own lives in the year 2018, I have to ask, well, what is it that God is trying to tell us through these stories? Through the stories of the decimation of Israel, through the stories of Jesus healing people, through the stories of the people who are suffering from all kinds of things. What is it that God is trying to tell us through these events described in Scripture from so long ago? Are these stories there to let us know that others with great faith have also gone through trying times? Is there something in these stories or in the Bible as a whole that offers us something to grab onto when we are challenged? Have these stories been written down so that in some way we can remain encouraged and hopeful regardless of what might be happening? Well, the short answer to these questions, I believe, is yes, absolutely yes. These stories are here for us now, in our lives now. God is indeed trying to tell each of us something Others before us have endured, but most importantly, God wants us to know that there are things we can count on no matter what, even though those things may not always be as clear as the stars in the night sky and the Rocky Mountains. So as Christians, while there's a lot I could get into this morning, I just want to briefly mention three points to keep in mind, three things to keep in mind, whenever it is that we are hurting in part of our lives or we are struggling with something or hurting with something or simply looking for direction when we don't know what to do. Three anchor points to remember when we hit a bump or something unexpected that flies into our lives. Three things like a wall with solid pegs we can hang our hats on, so to speak, when the journey gets rough. 
The first is that God is in the thick of it with us. There's a great little book that I've referenced in other places in that book. It's a little book, but it's so full of everything. The title of the book is Your God is Too Small. Perhaps you've read it, and here's an excerpt. If a person is in charge of 50 people, she can easily make herself familiar with the history, character, abilities, and peculiarities of each person. If she is, however, in charge of 500 people, she may be still able to take interest in people, but it's almost impossible for her to know and retain in her memory personal details of the individual. If she is in charge of 5,000 people, however, she may be wise and benevolent, but she cannot attempt to know the people as individuals. The author of the book goes on to suggest that many of us have this view of God. A view of God that says if God is in charge of billions of people, let alone the whole universe, then there is no way that God can take a deep personal interest in me. God must simply be too overwhelmed and busy like an overworked and harassed telephone operator. That tells us when the book was written. What's a a telephone operator? What's a telephone? But that's not the God of the Bible. One crystal clear theme of scripture from beginning to end and evident in our reading today is that God is always working through and in the minute details of our lives, whether or not we know it, whether or not we believe it, whether or not we see it, or whether or not we recognize it. And the presence of persistent problems or pain or confusion does not mean that God is not working through whatever it is that we're dealing with. In the first letter of Peter, we find the following verses. Peter writes, God is keeping careful watch over us. You call out to God for help and he helps, and when life gets really difficult, do not jump to the conclusion that God is not on the job. Trust God. He knows what he's doing. God's strong hand is on you. And then Paul carries the same theme when he writes in his letter to the people of Rome. God himself has taken up residence in your life. The alive, present God moves into your life. God lives and breathes in you. God's spirit is right alongside, helping us all along. And then the magnificent words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, do you not think he will tend to you? God will help us deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes, Jesus said. So one thing we can count on is that our Lord is involved in every detail of our lives, working in and through us no matter what, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we believe, no matter what we're in the middle of, God is in the thick of it with us. And aside from that critical life peg to hang our hats on, God is in the thick of it with us is that we can find the second peg, I believe, in the words that the prophet Isaiah spoke. Isaiah says, and remember he's saying these things to people who have lost it all, as I described earlier. Isaiah writes, don't you know, have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow weary or tired. His understanding is beyond reach, giving power to the tired and reviving the exhausted. And those who hope in the Lord, Isaiah writes, will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. It is God who gives us each the strength we need when we know not where strength is going to come from. It is God who keeps us going when we are weary. It is the power of God that infuses us when we need it the most. Think about those times in your life in which you did not know that you had the power to make it through. It was God's power that was helping you put one foot in front of the other. I believe the words of Isaiah. I believe his words were not just meant for the people of Israel who had been slaughtered and lost at all. I believe Isaiah's are God's words that are meant for you and for me when we have no strength left, no power remaining, and no clue as to how we are going to continue. God's power comes to us, comes into us, gives us strength when we need it the most. Count on God's strength, believe in his strength, ask for his strength. And then there's a third thing we can hang our hats on. Something we can count on no matter what. Our future is secure and our destination is known. Just think about that. Our future is secure and our destination is known. The good news of Jesus is that although we may not exactly have a clear picture of how our lives will be in the coming years, and we may not be able to predict all of the tough stuff, we already know the outcome of our lives here on earth. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are on the glory road to eternal life with God. Eternity is what is ahead. Our ultimate future is secure, and when it's all said and done, we have nothing to fear because eternity is secure. What we have ahead of us is a priceless, awesome, and indescribable reality that nobody can take away from us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, not even death. There is nothing in life or anything that is happening right now that will change an amazing future that God has given us through Christ. This doesn't mean, however that we should live for that day. God wants us to live for this day. Live right now, fully and with gratitude. Living with the knowledge and the hope and the confidence of what lies ahead. You may remember the great line from a sermon of another far better preacher than me who one day said, it may be Friday, but Sunday's a-coming. In other words, Easter follows Good Friday, not the other way around. Remember earlier I spoke of looking up at the night sky on a rocky mountain moonless night? I invite each of us sometime soon to go outside on an evening, whether or not the moon is in, out, to gaze at the beauty, to ponder the expanse, to take note of all that is good and right and wonderful 
and true and joyful in life, to give God thanks for all that is good and is indeed a blessing. And as we gaze up at a night sky, I invite each of us to allow ourselves to feel our comparable size. And as we do so, let us remember, remember it's the one who created it all, whose vastness is beyond comprehension, that is in the thick of it with us. Remember it's the one whose boundless and incomparable power is in us. And remember the one who has hold of us for a glorious eternity. God in the thick of it with us. God's incomparable power within us, sustaining us, and a glorious eternity ahead for each of us. Pretty extraordinary things to hang our hats on, don't you think? Amen.